Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So I had a, a few different people ask me this morning, or not this morning, over the, the past couple of weeks, you know, am I going to be continuing the uh, study on uh, the book of Revelation as we come to, to Easter, or are we going to kind of pivot to the more, more traditional parts of the Bible that we normally hit on for, uh, uh, for Easter? And, and to that, I, I say yes, um, we, we will be doing both. Uh, <laughs> So before we get too far down the road, there are a, a few stories that I want to tell you and, and a bit of a math problem that we're, we're going to take a look at. So first for the stories, there's um, a man and a woman who have been trying to have children for, for many years. They, they've been to all of the doctors, they have gone through all of the different treatments, they have, have gone all over the world looking for some way for, for this to, to happen, and they're, they're at the point where they're beginning to lose hope. They have, have spent countless amounts of money to try and make this happen, um, and, and at this point, it just seems like it's not going to work. It, they have lost all hope that this is ever going to, to come about until one day... Out of the blue, a specialist comes and, and, and calls, and he's from Europe, and he calls to tell them that he has a treatment that is designed specifically for the type of issue that they as a couple are dealing with, and he's inviting them to come and participate in this trial. So a, a separate story. We have a, a man who has been locked up in prison for 15 years for a crime that he did not commit. 15 years. He has been unable to get adequate legal representation due to lack of funds, due to multiple uh, mental disorders that he is suffering from. Um, He has tried to end his life on multiple occasions because of the lack of hope that he feels. Until one day he receives word uh, from a legal aid foundation that is offering to take on his case pro bono, stating that they have new evidence that they feel could exonerate him and, and release him from prison. Another story that we have is an, a child is in an orphanage and, and she is longing for the day that she will be adopted. She is longing for the day where, where she will have parents that love her and that care for her. She's been living in this orphanage for 10 years watching other children come and go, left only to imagine what it must feel like to have a home, what it must feel like to have a family. After 10 years, she starts to wonder, is this something that's ever going to happen? And, and she starts to lose hope until one day the orphanage director informs her that a couple is asked to meet with her and they very much want to adopt her and they very much want to make her a part of their family. And all three of these incidents, if we look at them, all three of these stories, these, these kind of snapshots of life, while, while fictional, while something I've made up, are, are also just as easily something that could have absolutely happened. And with all of us here, maybe there are th- events like this that have happened in, in your life or in the lives of people that you know. 
But as we look at each of these three stories, in every single one of these stories, there is pain. In every single one of these stories, there is hurt, there is hardship, there is grief. And what we see when we look at these stories is this math equation, that when we have grief plus a promise, we get hope. If we look at each of these stories, we see that there's this sadness, this sorrow, but then there's a promise. There's, there's something to, to look forward to. And when we have that promise, there is hope. As we focus our attention on Jesus, we see that in him, all of the promises, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Jesus is the center of God's work of creation. All of God's promises find their fulfillment in Jesus. And you say, well, well yeah, that, that sounds good, Matt, but what about, what about Friday? What about what happened on Friday? If all of the promises of God are in Jesus, doesn't he have to be alive to fulfill all of these promises? It, for this to work, it seems like Jesus would have to be alive for this to function, Right? And let's be frank, we, we saw, if we look back to Good Friday, we, we know what happened. We remember the story, the, the trial, the mock trial, the, the brutal scourging, the excruciating death. Jesus died on Friday. He breathed his last breath. He was buried in a tomb. Was everything that he said Meaningless. Were his promises empty? If we, we think about the life of Jesus, it, it almost seems like it's come to this end unexpectedly, that, that there's this lack of resolution. We, we have a tomb. We have no miraculous last second rescue, no, no divine intervention on the cross. So often I think of the, the scene that must have played out in heaven as Jesus is being beaten, as Jesus is being nailed to a cross and, and the angels are there. They're saying, are we really not gonna do anything about this? Are we, are we really not going to intervene? Are we really not going to, to take care of, of this situation? Are we just going to watch? Is this really how it ends? Was it all an empty promise? As we look at the, the disciples of Jesus after that Friday, we sit through Friday night, we sit through all of Saturday, and, and you can see those exact same questions that surely were happening in, in heaven, that happening with the disciples as well. Did, did we follow a fool? Am I the fool? What, what just happened? Am, am I next in line? But with a burst and a shout, everything changes. Everything changes. Mary Magdalene and a few other women, they, they nearly break down the door of the, the room where the disciples are staying with this strange mixture of, of fear and joy. They, they communicate that Jesus' body is gone. They say someone has taken it. And yet in the same breath, they say, but we also spoke to him. 
And so now there are all of a sudden this confusion of, well, is he gone or isn't he? What's, what's happening? And, and the, the very end of the, the story that they have to communicate is it doesn't matter, he's alive. We, we met him, we talked to him. The end of every gospel account is this unique but harmonious record of Jesus' bodily resurrection to new life. He physically met with disciples, both men and women. He, he ate with them. He, they touched him. He appeared to more than 500 people at one time. This is real. Jesus is alive. He is risen. So what about the rest of the story? Is there more to this story? The rest of the New Testament constantly and consistently rejoices in the truth that, that Jesus is alive. And the fact that Jesus is alive, the fact that Jesus has been resurrected extends to our resurrection because his promise was not empty. In fact, in the, the twist that was kind of called out in that video, the empty tomb is his promise revealed. Empty turned out to be the promise all along. The beautiful empty. Now through Jesus' resurrection, we can see with, with new eyes, we can see with his eyes, and we discover that all of our worst fears are now empty. That everything that we face in this world, the, the difficulties, the hardships that we face, yes, they are hard, but in light of eternity, in light of what Christ has done on the cross, I no longer have to be held captive by those things. I am alive to Christ. This life apart from Jesus, is empty. His promise is pure. His promise is sure. His promise is true. His death was the price for it. And his resurrection is the confirmation of his promise. We're going to go back a few chapters from where we are in the book of Revelation. We're going to go back to Revelation 1. And when we look at Revelation chapter 1, we see this unique insight into the resurrected Jesus. This text is good because it, it describes the, the cosmic power of the resurrected Christ. And, and then we get to hear from him in his own words, what he has to say. Revelation 1, 9 through 18 is what we're going to read this morning. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and, and Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. And when it had been made to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid for I am the first and the last, the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades in my hand. Can you imagine that being what you see? John's description, I mean, if you start putting all of these pieces together, I mean, it's almost comical when you start kind of assembling it. It's like, so there's this guy with like a lamb's like sheep rug for hair. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes are on fire. His, his feet are like glowing. And all of a sudden you're, you're trying to put all of these different things together. <laughs> Man, this looks kind of weird. This, this is a little strange, but John's description is comical because what he's being asked to do is impossible to do. Okay, I need you to describe the king of the universe in like 500 words or less. Really? He was, he was told to write down what he saw, but how does a human being, how does a human man with finite language describe something that is infinitely beautiful? How do you describe something that is infinitely beautiful? And so John is reduced to, to analogy, to comparing what he sees with the, the closest substitute. It's the best that he can do. And, and even that is gorgeous, is awe-inspiring. Each of the descriptions, each of the different analogies that, that are used are meaningful. They, they, there's a point and a purpose to them. But when Jesus touches John, the same disciple of Jesus that saw him die on the cross, it's almost too much to, to consider. And I, I think that sometimes we lose that detail when we come to the book of Revelation. Sometimes we get so focused on the what of Revelation. We get so focused on everything that's happening, all of the, the story, all of the different creatures with the different faces, the animals, the lamps, the, the different seals, the scrolls, the, the bowls, all of the different stuff that's happening is that we sometimes forget who it is that John is talking to in these instances. John is talking to somebody, yes, that he saw uh, turn water into wine. Yes, he's, he's talking to somebody that, that he saw bring the dead to life, that, that allowed the lame to walk, that, that cleansed the lepers. He's talking to that one, but he's also talking to the one that he saw wake up and eat breakfast in the morning. We don't think about John having that type of encounter with, with Jesus. And yes, this is, this is the resurrected Jesus. This is the, the glorified Jesus. This is a, a very different side, but, but that other side had to be there. John wasn't witnessing a stranger. Yes, there was, there was a lot more that John was encountering in this time, but he was witnessing the Son of God and the Son of Man, the, the same Jesus that was, was with him. And then Jesus speaks. Jesus says, do not be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. If we look through the Bible, there is time after time after time where God's power is shown and and the the first words that come forth out of the prophets, out of, if we think of when when Moses is there with the Israelites as they're pressed up against the Red Sea and the, the army of Pharaoh is coming to destroy them and Moses stands up and he says, do not be afraid. And the people of Israel are like, why not? Because this is scary. But the word of God to Moses was, do not be afraid. And we see it time after time in situation after situation, multiple times where where Jesus is with the disciples and, and he has to remind them, do not be afraid. When Jesus appeared to the disciples on Resurrection Sunday, he said, peace be with you. That sounds a lot like do not be afraid. He said it twice. And then the the next Sunday, Jesus says the same thing. He says, peace be with you. It seems that peace and the absence of fear are critical things that Jesus wants for his people. Jesus wants peace for me. Jesus doesn't want me to be afraid. Jesus wants peace for you. He does not want you to be afraid. Fear has no place in the presence of Jesus. Pain has no place in the presence of Jesus. Death has no place in the presence of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. What does it mean to hold the keys? If I hold the keys, it means I'm in control. The, the one who, who holds the keys to the prison cell is the one who is in control. The person in the prison cell really has no control at all. What bigger prison cell is there than death? And yet God holds the keys. Jesus holds the keys. If we think about keys, they're this ancient symbol for control, the answer and solution. When you, you, you have a teacher who's giving a test, very often there's, there's a piece of paper that, that has all of the answers on it, right? And, and that list, that sheet that has all of the answers on it is called the, the key, right? Jesus is the key. Death has been solved. Death has been answered. Death has been conquered through the work of Jesus. If we we think about Hades, Hades is this Hebrew term that, that describes the grave, that describes the underworld, that location of the decaying body after death. So what is Jesus saying if he holds the keys to death and Hades? That he holds the keys to death and the grave. He has conquered death and the grave. And as you think about that, as you, you say, okay, well, that's, that's amazing. What does that mean? 
What, what does that mean for me today if that is what, what Christ has done? It's, it's simple and yet it's profound that Jesus' resurrection is the key to my resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the only reason that we have resurrection. By your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died for your sins and was raised to life, his empty tomb is the promise of your freedom. His empty tomb is the promise for your eternal life. The beautiful empty. But Jesus' resurrection is more than just history. It's historical fact. On So many times has it been tried to, to disprove that Jesus was, was alive, that he walked the earth, and yet it can't be done. Every attempt to disprove has just further gone to prove that, in fact, Jesus was alive. Jesus did die on a cross. But it, it's more than just fact. It's an ongoing reality, a ongoing truth for all that believe in him. By faith in Jesus, we get to walk in newness of life. So let's go back to these three stories that we talked about this morning. This man and this woman, this, this prisoner who has been unjustly imprisoned, this child who has gone through more than any child should ever have to. In every single one of those situations, we, we talked about hope that came not from any real cosmic source, nothing that, that, that really necessarily came from Jesus. There's, there's all of these things that are happening through other people, right? We have a doctor that's coming saying, hey, I have a solution. We have, we have this legal aid organization coming saying, hey, I have a solution. We have these parents that are coming to, to the rescue of this child. But in the midst of all of that, there is still a God who is on his throne. There's still a God who says, I love you, regardless of what situation you find yourself in. And so let's just play this out for just a moment. Let's say that this man and this woman, they go through the treatment that, that this doctor has brought and, and it still doesn't work. Does that mean God has failed? Does that mean God doesn't love them? Does that mean that they are loved any less? Not at all. See, it's, it's so important for us to, to get our eyes off of the, the immediate situation where we find ourselves because sometimes we go through hard things. Sometimes we go through difficult situations. And that is not the time where we, we say, well, God doesn't love me because I'm going through that. It's God loves me so I can go through this. It's the love of God that allows me to continue. And you say, well, Matt, that's, that's easy for you to say. You're not, you're not going through the things that I'm going through. You don't know the hardships that I'm facing. And you're right, I don't. I don't know all of the things that, that you face on a day-to-day -day basis, but God does. And we come back once again to this critical equation that says that 
in the midst of grief, we can add a promise. And when we have that promise, we have hope. So what is the promise? What is that promise that has been made? Come to me. Everyone who is weary. Everyone who who has a burden that they just can't carry. And here's the promise. And I will give you rest. I will give you hope. I will give you peace. I will give you healing. I will give you restoration. I will give you what you need. I will give you the best. That is the promise. And because of that promise, we have hope. We have hope in the midst of wherever we find ourselves. We have hope in the darkest of times. I can hope because of who God is. Because of who God has shown himself to be over and over and over again in my life and the lives of those that I love. Do you need that hope? Do you want that hope? Is that, is that something where you say, man, I, I am going through life and it just doesn't really seem like it's there. It is been way too easy for me to get focused on the difficulties and the hardships that I have today and and I need hope for tomorrow we're gonna pray right now heavenly father we thank you that you are a god of hope that through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross we have hope for tomorrow, that sin and death and the grave have been conquered, and in that I have hope for tomorrow, that the beautiful empty, the emptiness that happened inside of me, that was inside of me, that the void that could not be filled was addressed through the empty tomb. God, that you are alive, that Jesus is sitting on his throne, that he is there in heaven interceding on our behalf. Because of that, I have hope. If there are those of us that are here this morning that are saying, I need hope, I need to recognize this promise that has been made, this morning I invite you to join with me as we pray. God, we thank you and we accept and receive that hope, that promise that has been given in the midst of wherever we find ourselves that we can have hope that we can have new life, that we can have the rest that we need. Maybe you are here this morning and maybe all of this is new. Maybe you are here this morning, you say, man, this sounds really good. Where do I sign? What do I have to do? What, what are the, the steps for me to, to get to be part of this club? What are the steps that I need to take to, to get this hope? What do I have to do? And the great news here this morning is that you do not have to do anything. It has already been done. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He lived a life. He, he lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He died 
not just for the sins of the people that were at that time, but for the, the sins of everyone, past, present, and future, to make a way for his people to go and be with him for all of eternity. And if you say, man, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I, I need that in my life. If that is you this morning, then I invite you just to, to raise your hand and look at me. If that is something where I have never made that decision before and, and I want to be a part of this family, if that is something that you want to do, I invite you to raise your hand and to look at me. This isn't a time for me to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come up and give a speech. This is a time for, that's between you and God. And if you want to make that decision, if this is the time where we're going to say, new life begins, I encourage you, don't wait. Don't put it off. God, we thank you. We thank you for hope. We thank you for new life. We thank you for this season where we get to come and, and celebrate those things. God, I ask that you would bless your church as we go forward. Bless the rest of this day. Bless the rest of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 